0: This episode is brought to you by Charcoal Book Club. Each month, Charcoal selects a first edition monograph that's a must-have for every photo book collection. Each book arrives signed by the artist with a print and a note card from the guest curator, not to mention free shipping to the US, Canada, and the UK. If you already have the book, you can simply swap it out for another one in their bookshop. Some of my favorite books in the past few months have been Half Story, Half Life by Raymond Meeks and Wood River Blue Pool by Joanne Walters. Many of the books of the month are now out of print and really expensive, but I have a copy thanks to the book club. Just one of the many reasons that I love being a member of Charcoal. Try it for yourself. Join the club at charcoalbookclub.com. I'm Jordan Weitzman, and you're listening to Magic Hour. There's so much soul in Mark McKnight's dark, complex, surrealist, psychological photographs, whether he's photographing the bodies of men he's attracted to, still lives or landscapes, all of which have a distinct relationship to one another. Just last week... Mark was awarded the very prestigious Aperture Portfolio Prize. I encourage you to go read Brendan Emser's write-up, because he really hits the nail on the head with Mark's work. Emser says, Mark McKnight is a modern-day modernist. His black-and-white photographs of skin and sand, brick and tar, with their rich tones and sparkling light, are redolent of 20th-century masterworks. Those pictures by men like Edward Weston, who cast the world in silver gelatin, Weston once said the camera should be used for recording the quintessence of the thing itself, whether polished steel or palpitating flesh. But for McKnight, who was born in Los Angeles to a new Mexican, Hispan identifying mother, something was missing from Weston's vision. Something that would ignite a flame of recognition in a young queer man whose ideas about male beauty were more expansive than the Eurocentric standard. Something that would make straight photography a little less straight. Mark and I got together at a studio in the Boyle Heights area of L.A. We got to talking about another big part of his life, teaching, which he spoke about with the same enthusiasm and energy that comes through in his work.
1: There's like never an end to the things you could say about the topic, especially like when I'm teaching a history of photography class. Oh, And I taught two versions. I taught two separate classes this past semester. Yeah. And I, they were getting like different lectures. I would just start talking and then something would pop into my head and I'd be like, well, you know, the interesting thing about this picture. And then suddenly I would be like, oh, shit, I didn't say that to the other class. Yeah. And it wasn't like a fact they needed to know necessarily, but it was like something that I view in the work that I think would be valuable for mostly a room of non-artists right. to think about because some of those things don't always come naturally to non-artists.
0: Yeah. And that can change every time you almost look at the picture, a testament to, to a picture's quality.
1: <laughs> yeah. And sometimes I'm discovering something while I'm talking and I, and of course you're like uh, an instructor. And so you don't go, I've never thought about this. This is so <laughs> crazy. You just start saying it like it's something you've always thought, but yeah. like you're kind of thinking like, Oh my God, how did I not notice this yeah. about such and such is work? stuff just kind of spills out on accident that is rewarding for you as an
0: artist. I'm just thinking about that excitement when you kind of don't get work. Like you see work for the first time. I remember for me, uh, you know, Walker Evans comes to mind. Mm. Um, remember Stephen Shore looking at, you know, Uncommonplace and thinking like, these are like nothing. What are these? Mm -hmm. And then it detonates or someone points something out to you or you see something, that you hadn't seen before and it's just like like an explosion opens a door in your brain it opens a door in your brain and you almost can't even look you can't even imagine how you looked at it or a boring kind of way yeah
1: it like opens the door and the room is empty and then you want to fill that room with all kinds of other stuff that is related and then you're like really curious right which yeah and that's that's really exciting
0: was there any work that was like that for you
1: Uh, It's funny that you would say, Stephen, Shore. I saw, uh, I think it may have just been called Uncommon Places at the Hammer Museum. I think I was maybe 20 or 21 or something. And I was a community college student. Mm -hmm. So it would have been, yeah, it would have been before I even transferred to SFAI. I think, and I think that work. I haven't thought about this before. I think that work may be the reason why I started shooting Stephen large Shore. format. Really? Yeah, it was the Stephen Shore show. Hmm. And then for a while, I think I was just, I think I was at that age, I think I was more attracted to the nostalgia of those
0: photographs mm-hmm. than what they
1: were actually designed to do.
0: Which he actually, you're right, which he can't stand. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. But that opened the door to like new topographics. And thinking, yeah, and thinking about all these other things, you know, like open the door to that empty room. And then I filled that empty room with like thinking about new topographics and then eventually going to a school that felt like, yeah, like new, new, new topographics. And that was like all anyone could talk about. And it was sort of a happy coincidence or something that those were things I was interested in at that time, at least.
0: Hmm. I'm really curious about one of your teachers... (laughs) Henry Wessel, unfortunately, you know, he passed away recently, but I've always been such a Wessel fan and I'm so curious what he was like as a teacher.
1: He was great. Yeah. He was really great. Um, I think if I was to say like one thing about Hank that um, has like persisted, I mean, there's a lot of things and I feel like probably so many things are unconsciously embedded in the way that I think about photography but the thing that really resonates the most and when I like really think about Hank is um, like, I, I don't know, as an artist, you sometimes in the middle of making new work, sometimes you start to like second guess what you're doing. And like, you start asking, or I rather, I ask, I start asking too many questions about what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and how this is going to add up to such and such. And I, I mean, I did it even at like the undergraduate level when I was a student of Hanks and I was like kind of new to using a four by five camera. The pictures are really clunky. I mean, you're looking at an image like upside down, like it's big. It's like, yeah, it's just a, it's cl- a clunky camera to be using. And the pictures were not, Looking back at them, he was really sweet and supportive. and uh, But the pictures weren't that good. But he identified that I was looking at interesting things. And he just said, you're looking at all the right things. Just keep making the pictures. Make enough pictures, and, and eventually the pictures will tell you what they're about and what you're doing. And that was just like... An, those things were really liberating when I was like afraid that I wasn't doing anything, that I was just... Mm -hmm. taking pictures and even now sometimes when I'm making work yeah I just I find that I think about Hank and then I think about just like trusting the process Mm -hmm. of making the pictures and trusting that like yeah I'm looking at the right things Mm -hmm. and that I might not be consciously aware of what I'm doing but that the pictures are going to tell me eventually if I just keep making them which is a really good way of for me it's it's a really good way of making work. And I find like with younger artists that I know, sometimes they are really, um, they seem really like prematurely stifled. And I, it's something I like passing along to people that Mm -hmm. like Hank Wessel nugget because yeah, it kind of saved me
0: in a lot of ways. Well, it seems to me that that advice kind of epitomizes the thing that that i find myself most interested in photography which is which which has to do with the the manifestation of the unconscious and this is something that is it's like it is so hard to tangibly grasp and it is so hard and i think it's why so many people get stifled is because y- you can't really put a finger on it but there is this thing that happens and i'm curious how you feel about this there's this thing that happens when and it happens within all the arts, whether you pick up a paintbrush or a pencil or a camera, sure. Where if you just do something in a very, very kind of playful way, things will come out that you could never have ha- have anticipated. There was this kind of belief that the whole Winogrand, Papa George, seventies street photographers believed that the world is always a lot more interesting than your mind and, and there's something kind of to that but to me it's almost like it's half correct that that's that saying agreed I, yeah because no matter where you are whether you're in your studio or whether you're out in the world it's this relationship between you and the thing you're dealing with that's gonna bring something interesting out
1: yeah I, absolutely but also edit like editing that is your mind making this very specific decisions Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like it's not like winogrand or friedlander was making one picture and that was the one that ended up on the wall like right uh, yeah i'm always skeptical of that like i don't that sort of i don't have any agency here attitude like i just went into the world and made the pictures Mm -hmm. i i'm way i'm yeah i'm way more attracted to some of the things you were bringing up about the unconscious and I feel like something I'm interested in is seeing the unconscious made manifest in a photograph Mm -hmm. and then, and then like seeing that reflected back Mm -hmm. somehow in a, in a picture that I've made, like it's telling me something that I already knew, but I didn't know that I knew it. And it's important for me to know or some, does that, that sounds ridiculous.
0: But no, I mean, I, to, to me, it makes complete sense.
1: I, and those are the pictures that I really love. Like my, one of my favorite pictures ever. It's this Jacob Reese picture. It's called, uh, an ancient lodger and the plank on which she slept. And it's this woman, it's like, it's this woman, who is standing in the middle of the frame. Her feet are cut off. She seems to be like leaning off to the side or back. Her eyes are closed. And then the plank on which she slept is leaned against the wall, just slightly behind her. And then it's made like restyle with, you know, the like super bright magnesium flash. So there's this really harsh shadow. But then the other thing is that at the corner, the right corner of the frame, as you can see the hand of the assistant, who is releasing that flash. And so it's just like this weird, accidentally surreal photograph where you have a cut off hand feet that are cut off at the bottom. And then this title that is suggestive of the fact that this woman is asleep, which is reaffirmed by the fact that her eyes are closed, but you also know that she's awake because she's standing there. Right. And it's like, it's just this, yeah, it's nuts. It's, and it's, It's not designed to be a surreal photograph. I don't even know whether like Jacob Reese was the kind of photographer that would have identified those qualities, but it also seems to me like the kind of picture that someone could really easily, someone could have cropped it into being a more documentary photograph, Mm -hmm. but there's like the inclusion of that hand Mm -hmm. and the accidental is great. And sometimes I'm not even sure if it's the accidental so much as the unconscious.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I guess they kind of both sort yeah. of go hand in hand. When I take pictures, I use a digital camera. And I feel that I need to take a lot of pictures. I need to play around by taking a lot of pictures in order for that kind of um, that unconscious to come out somehow. Mm-hmm. I'm curious how you do it. I mean, you shoot 4 by 5 You shoot large format. Mm-hmm. You're taking very few negatives. How do you relate to that?
1: Uh, I'm just a genius of photography and I walk up and I push the button one time and I don't look at the meat. No, I, I hate that when that like sort of romantic idea, like, um, I just, uh, I take a lot of pictures and I was thinking about this the other day. Like, um, do I, I'm shooting predominantly, I'm shooting four by five. Very recently I started shooting in the past. I shot with a six by nine recently. I started making some pictures with a six by seven to get loose, but mostly I'm shooting with a four by five. And recently I was like, should I try shooting eight by 10? And then I thought about it. And I realized that if I shot eight by 10, that film is so expensive. And it just, there's something about that that just feels so much more precious that I think I would make less pictures or I would be so insistent on like hitting a home run every time Mm -hmm. that there wouldn't be any room to make accidentally good pictures or to like, yeah, or to like tilt the camera on its side or do the kinds of things that almost inevitably are the better pictures. So, I mean, that's like a long winded way of answering your question, but I I make actually a lot of pictures like, and I don't know if you can identify with this, but like sometimes I can like smell it on the subject. Like there's a picture here. I know there's a picture here. And it sometimes takes setting the four by five up two or three times to figure out what that picture is. And sometimes it takes making all of those pictures, processing the film, and then looking at them and figuring out which one of the pictures it is, if it's any of them. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes right. I didn't get it and I learned from, which is a very Wessel thing to say, I learn from those mistakes and then the next time the like universe presents that picture to me, which has happened on so many occasions. I know exactly how to make it.
0: Uh-huh. Do you ever feel like you, you might feel amazing like in, in a moment taking a picture and then going back and looking in there's kind of like, you know, it doesn't compare to the actual feeling at the moment of making it. And the inverse also, you might kind of feel, be feeling very little bit and then boom, you, you kind of produce this amazing thing.
1: Sometimes it feels like, yeah, sometimes the picture feels like it's being handed to me Mm -hmm. and that it's like a requirement and not something that I even really had to work for. And I'm like, okay, I'll just take this picture. And then that it it ends up, yeah, it does something way beyond what I could have anticipated. And yeah, totally. I I think I actually, I think I made some pictures last week Mm -hmm. that were... In the moment, I was like, "This is my masterpiece." <laughs> and then, like six hours later, I was like, I don't, "I'm not sure about that." The film sitting actually, we there on top of that bag. I'll find out tonight <laughs> and let you know. Okay. <laughs> but of course, okay. I won't even know tonight. It might not be for like a year or more mm-hmm. that I can really look at the pictures and be like,
0: "Yeah, yeah." There's this. There's this video. There's this Wessel thing that I always think about. Um, I must have watched this video. I don't know how many times.
1: It's my favorite video to show to students.
0: Do you? It's the, it's the video of him on YouTube. It's like this mini documentary. Yeah.
1: KCET. Right. Art bound or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly.
0: And there's this one scene um, where he shows a stack of work prints for a year, which is maybe, I don't know. It's like three, a pillar. <laughs> it's like a pillar. Yeah. It's probably like three to five feet high yeah. of prints. There must be, I don't know how many hundreds of prints in there. Yeah, And then he basically, he points, he takes his fingers, and he basically makes the size of, I don't know, a a small coin, and he shows the section at the bottom of the stack of prints that might make the cut at the end of the year. And to me, that's one of the most inspiring things. I mean, seeing that, seeing someone who is, um, you know, a masterful photographer you know a master of the craft who makes such good work showing you how it's so much about failure
1: it's so much about failure and it's and it's also and so trying. much about being available mhm and or just try- having a desire and and yeah and picking up the camera and pushing the button i think he talks about it as saying
0: yes saying yes yeah yeah and
1: yeah. i Yeah. And that too, the way that he talks about the joy of making photographs is I really identify with too. But yeah, absolutely. It's nice to hear someone talk about failure because when you go to an exhibition and you see all the work and there's not of his work specifically, but anyone's work, it's just, you're seeing like this fraction of all of their labor and curiosity. And, you know, if you're like new to this thing, you see those pictures and you might feel a little bit like I'm not naturally good enough to make 10 incredible pictures like that in a month or six months or a year. And then you see a video like that where someone like Hank is talking about how many, Mm -hmm. I mean, the thing about him too, though, is I suspect a lot of those quote unquote failures would be a lot of other people's successes. (laughs) But yeah, yeah, it's cool when I like, I always like that.
0: Yeah. I'm curious about, you started, You got really into the new topographics early on, and that's what inspired you to kind of... That, that's what inspired the format of...
1: Making large format color
0: pictures. Right, making large format color pictures. Now you're making black and white pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, your recent bodies of work are made up of landscapes and human figures mostly men that have a very kind of surrealist tone to them. How did you arrive at the subject matter that you wanted to deal with? Hmm. And the way that you wanted to deal with it? How
1: far back do I go? Um, Let's see. So like in undergrad, I went to SFAI or uh, I went to the San Francisco Art Institute which is a school that, uh, it's the first fine art photography program, I think in the United States, it was founded by Ansel Adams. Um, it was, uh, early faculty. It was like Weston minor white Mm -hmm. really kind of F 64. So straight, (laughs) straight quote unquote, straight photography. Um, I think that, um, that early interest later manifested in this thing I said, which is like new, new, new topographic, still kind of quote unquote straight photography, except, um, a little bit more like neutral or detached in appearance. So that's sort of like early education stuff. Um, then, um, the other, I, I mean, I don't even, I haven't even figured out how to talk about this yet, really. So I should also say I'm in this crit group. Mm-hmm. I'm it's like, I'm the next round and I've started to think about, um, my personal history in relation to my practice. And that has opened up all these avenues in which to think. And I more recently the shift happened, I think when I came out Mm
0: -hmm. in
1: to some degree and I, how old were you? I think I was 26 or 27,
0: 26. Okay. Um, I I I thought, I thought I was a late bloomer. Yeah. (laughs) No, later the latest bloomer.
1: Um, so the thing I've been thinking about in relation to this deep dive, this question I've been asking myself, is: uh, was making stri- quote-unquote straight photographs, mm-hmm. these sort of uh, detached masculine views of the landscape, was that, is there a relationship there? Um, like today, I, I, I appreciate the things I've learned from New Topographics, but I... I'm not a person in the world who can afford to be um, detached or neutral um, or ambivalent, like st- sterile picture making. I that's not my experience or identity. Like that's not a, that's a privilege. Making those pictures is a privilege.
0: When you're referring to those pictures, you're referring to
1: white p- heterosexual men, right? And
0: working in, in, in a new topographic style, very kind of like yeah. uh, uh, Robert Adams. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, when
1: I, when I really, really think, cause Adams is so romantic. If you really like, if you read <laughs> that reading, but, and Wessel doesn't belong there in my mind, there's too much soul in his pictures. Yeah.
0: And playfulness. He's more in the Friedlander camp. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: But when I really think about new topographics. I feel like that show was almost like built around Lewis Baltz and then they pulled some other people (laughs) in that. And then like, yeah. And when I think about Lewis Baltz, I think about this, this quote that I read, I don't know, maybe like five years ago and it's Baltz. And he says something like all good art is without art or author. And I just think like, (laughs) I love Lewis Baltz, but also like, fuck that. Yeah. Um, And that's, I think that I feel like that, epitomizes when i'm talking about how this kind of neutrality and aloofness that that is a position of privilege that i don't have or want and that i don't respond to anymore in the work of other people but so i i that's sort of my background foundation uh i start grad school i'm experimenting with work um And also, while I was in grad school, I got into because I what I had been out for a a year Mm -hmm. maybe, and I've started grad school, and I got into what would be like my first and most significant, at least up until that point, gay relationship, Mm -hmm. and that ended. I made photographs of this person. That relationship ended um, as I was like right before I finished. Grad school, I guess. And so my thesis show were all of these kind of eroded, large format photographs of of surfaces that didn't resonate with me because of anything uh, ideologically related to new topographics, but because I was... They resonated with me on like a spiritual or like a... It was empathy. I just... It was... I, f- I felt the way that those surfaces looked or something, mm-hmm. which is sort of, I don't know, Stieglitzian, like, mm-hmm. photographic mm-hmm. equivalency. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, so I did this thesis show that was all of that work. And then around the same time, a friend of mine uh, who had uh, a gallery space on the top floor of the woman's building in this discrete kind of concrete box offered me a show. It's like it was only enough room for like one or two people to be inside this space. It felt really intimate, but also the surface of this discrete concrete vault on the top floor felt sort of akin to the surfaces I was photographing that I was presenting in this thesis show. And I decided to use this structure as the armature in which to hang these photographs of this person that I was just heartbroken about. That was the moment where I think I really... I really realized I wanted to conflate architectural surface, landscape, and body. Mm-hmm. And so that, I think, and the project since then, so for, I don't know, three years now, has been that, this sort of um, more significant interest in the poetic and less so, yeah, making exhibitions of work that feel impenetrable or something.
0: I'm Jordan Weitzman, and you're listening to my conversation with Mark McKnight. To see more of Mark's work, follow us on Instagram at magichourpodcast. This episode is kindly sponsored by Lightwork, a nonprofit that has been supporting artists working in photography since 1973. Lightwork hosts a world-renowned residency program and exhibitions, offers a community lab facility that's open to the public, and publishes Contact Sheet, one of the longest-running photography journals in the world. As a very special deal for listeners, take 10% off contact sheet subscriptions, signed books and prints from the Lightwork shop when you use the code MAGICHOUR at checkout. Subscriptions are just $40. Limited edition prints start at $300 with works by Jason Fulford, Zanelli Mahali, Raymond Meeks, and many more. Support a great cause and begin or renew your subscription today at www.lightwork.org. One thing is making the pictures, which is a very um, private, kind of solitary affair. And then there's the act of showing those pictures, which is a completely different, potentially very vulnerable uh, activity, especially with the type of subject matter that you're dealing with. Do you feel that way at all? or Do I feel
1: vulnerable when I show the work? Yeah. Oh, absolutely.
0: When you're gay and you you repress certain things for so long and then you come out and have and deal with them, there's a a certain kind of, I don't know, gay fat that almost needs to be shed in a certain way. And I'm just curious if your work at all functions in a way to do that. I think, I hope it doesn't seem like a cop-out to say, I just feel like that that's like
1: um, the kind of question like, yeah a, a psychiatrist would be like more equipped mm-hmm. i almost uh i just for the first time <laughs> started seeing uh yeah. <laughs> i'm seeing a, like a therapist mm-hmm. and i i almost yeah and um she's a psychodynamic which means that's like freud adjacent mm-hmm. or something and i almost want to bring in the work and be like what's tell me more um and maybe yeah. i'll get to that point i, I And to this other thing we've discussed like about the unconscious, I I feel like my work continues to reveal more Mm -hmm. and more to me the more time I spend with it Mm -hmm. and the older I get. I feel like I'm actually of two minds and there's a part of me that like, doesn't want to betray the unconscious part of me and start saying that I know what my work is about. Cause who am I to say what my work is about right. in some ways, but like as stupid and ridiculous as that sounds, but also um, I'm like looking at two pictures right now and there's uh, a figure falling into a black abyssal shadow that they are casting and you can't see their face, so they are staring into a kind of nothingness or a reflection or a shadow version of themselves. Uh, it, it it was shot intentionally, so as to look almost as if they were doing a kind of like ballet-esque kind of pirouette in spite of the fact that they are larger in size. Um I d that feels queer to me, mm-hmm. but I I couldn't exactly like I couldn't exactly lay out exactly why that is and how it's related to my the specificity of my experiences, but I think it's I think it's undeniable.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Does that, is that fair? Does that sound like a
0: cop-out? No, no, not at all. I'm just, I I guess I really just do have a fascination, well, with psychology in general. Yeah. But but, but just talking about the, the, the manifestation of the unconscious and just psychological reads into work. And then not only that, even just personal experience, like how you feel in relation to the work that you're both making and showing. I mean, I guess that's the, that's kind of what I was just getting at.
1: I think I have a desire to make pictures that are claustrophobic. There's never a horizon. Mm. Um, I want to use four by five cameras to have a lot of detail, but also I like to kind of break the rules of how you use a four by five and shoot like up or down mm-hmm. in order to make the world feel like it's kind of folding in on itself. And I mean, I, so you don't that's believe certainly it? how I felt yeah. grow. Like not only growing up, but into my <laughs> mid twenties, you know, like, you know, you're carrying a secret. You do feel folded in on yourself and you, I mean, I'm trying to think of the last time I made a picture where you could see someone's face. It's like the subjects are hidden from us as much as I was hidden from me. Mm-hmm. Um, And I think that, I think that I feel like that's almost really direct in a lot of ways. Like, in a way that I'm like not super. I'm like, wow, is it that easy to <laughs> unpack this work? Um, <laughs> but I think I'm okay with that too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's as much it's a, it's as much about. I think a lot of the pictures are as much about that as they are about, like, the body and my body and the kinds of men I'm frequently attracted to. And thinking about entropy, there's like, yeah. And I'm a part of me again is like, I'm always kind of second guessing myself. Is this um, is this pluralistic? Is that lazy, or is or is that incredibly honest to admit that there are all of these things active in the work that can't always be 100% pinpointed. Mm -hmm. I think Paul Graham says this thing somewhere about all that shimmer of possibility work that like, and I hope I'm not blowing the way that he, he talks (laughs) about it, but he says this thing about pinning the butterfly down. Mm. And I don't, I, that's not something I'm looking for. I don't want to like pin the butterfly down. It's, I'm really interested in poetry and in the poetic, which is to say, talking around a subject instead of pointing directly at it. And the, I think the worst thing in some ways that I could do is to say my work is just very specifically about this one thing because, like, A, that would be disingenuous. But also, B, I don't think it would be rewarding for anyone to walk into a show mm-hmm. and be told what the, you know, like, you don't ask a poet what they meant by the metaphor. You have the metaphor and you do with it, whatever you want to do, Mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah. At the beginning, I guess it would have been what in February of 2018. Mm -hmm. Uh, So almost a year ago, I did this show. I think I sent you a poster for the, if water forgets how to play mirror. I love that poster. And one of the sides of the poster is Eric. And he's like leaning back in this river in upstate New York and he's like taking his shirt off and he's just covered in body hair and he's pissing into this like endless s- stream. Yeah. And that photograph is um it I think the photograph there's something jubilant about it t- to me or at least that's what I was interested in conveying, but also it's really erotic and that felt I mean I felt like I felt like I was really revealing something mm-hmm. uh, like about my yeah, about my sexuality that even went beyond, it, it wasn't even, it was, it felt like slightly taboo, like I couldn't find a poster place that would print it really? for a while, and then I finally got it printed, and it just, yeah, that that felt really liberating to be like, I made this picture, this image is erotic to me, this experience was erotic to me, like, and it's also beautiful, yeah. and uh, yeah, that...
0: Uh, and, and, and sorry I don't mean to interrupt you but no, it's also it. It, it, it's there's there's a a, per, a perversion to it sure. which is and, and I say that in the most um, yeah. positive kind of way it's it's like it's a certain kind of perversion that is um, on the one hand very subjective like maybe, but also very relatable but only you know maybe some people might relate to it some might not but um, you could see how an image like that, may you know would be hard for let's say you might be uncomfortable with your parents seeing that image and and displaying this almost this this I don't know very private personal kind of sense of eroticism or perversion It's so private. Yeah. It's very private. Yeah. Yeah, it's
1: it's, it's not like yeah. mom and dad I'm gay it's like mom and dad I'm gay and yeah. I made this really sexy like sexual photograph of yeah. someone pissing yeah into a river. Yeah. But I I I uh so I invited my parents yeah to the show. Uh-huh. They didn't go to the opening and I did forewarn them. Uh I was just like there's a lot of nudity and it <laughs> gets kind of sexy. And uh, I didn't think they were going to go. And then one day, without telling me, they went by the gallery. And they both of my parents went and saw the show, mm-hmm. and, um, which was like incredibly sweet and supportive. And um, my dad didn't say anything. He, he told my mom how proud he was of me. Mm-hmm. But he and I never really talked about mm-hmm. the work. And that's totally okay. But yeah, that felt really liberating too. Did you talk about it with your mom at all? Yeah, she. I mean, she said it was beautiful. Yeah, but she she didn't. We didn't talk about like Mm -hmm. water sports or like. You know what I mean? It was just like I think that she probably put two and two together. Yeah, Um,
0: I feel I have a similar kind of experience with both my parents. Like a bit more open with my mom. My dad doesn't ask too many questions. Yeah, but but even the fact, comfortable, like cool, but not like uh, doesn't like to talk about it too much. But Which even the okay. fact, yeah. but it's about you. Exactly, yeah. exactly.
1: Or us. It's like you make the work and there's this great thing where you're willing to show it regardless mm-hmm. of what someone's going to think about it.
0: Yeah. And I almost feel that it extends beyond beyond that to this necessity that um, that we might have that has to do with being gay and it has to do with, again, not to get, I mean, I hope it's not too psychological and personal, but it has to do with being gay and repressing something. Like when you're, when you repress something and you, um, and you come out of it, you almost have this need to be a little bit more extreme in your demonstration of these kinds of things.
1: And that manifests, I think,
0: yeah. It comes out in the pictures, yeah. It's like, you know, you're not making things to, you know, to necessarily shock for shock's sake or show something that is
1: it's a I, for me it's like unapologetic declaration unapologetic declaration, and i have to force and
0: myself to make that declaration because
1: i spent so long not making it exactly but even if i know i'm going to be uncomfortable yeah i have to constantly allow myself to do the things that i would never do before in order to force growth exactly. in certain spheres
0: yeah I'm curious how you think about the landscape or the unpeopled pictures and the types of qualities that you, that you look for in them. What kind like, I mean, what, um, what do you want the unpeopled pictures the, uh, to do? Or how do you want them to function?
1: The, that photograph um, that was on the table when you walked in, the title for it is Flesh. And it's uh, it's actually it's just a ripped bag of asphalt mm-hmm. that I found um, on a on a long drive out to Ventura. Actually, in pursuit of um, a completely different landscape photograph that I didn't get that day, I ended up seeing that on the side of the road. And when I drove by, I think I think possibly because I had just been out at the ocean in Ventura, I had like ocean on my mind, and I wasn't actually near the coast at this point. But I saw this ripped bag of asphalt, and it looked like a beached like rotted whale it just looked fleshly because the outside of the bag was slightly wet and it it it's corporeal it looks it looked to me like animal flesh that and like the uh, it looked like entrails were being sort of eviscerating but it's just it's just asphalt exiting a bag and i think i'm I'm interested in finding things like that where I can draw formal and figurative parallels between body, architecture, object, landscape, so that there is maybe a kind of collapse between those things Mm -hmm. and one can see them poetically. But also I can talk about these larger, I can use these subjects as armatures for bigger ideas like entropy, Mm -hmm. I think I've always been like, I was always that like weird kid that was like thinking about mortality, you know, at like age nine or something Mm -hmm. like that. It's just something I think about. Um, Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. What was like the first art that you saw that you really, where you were like, wow, like I want to do that or like that made you want to be an artist?
1: The show that I really think back about There was like a Tillman's survey Mm. and I remember going to see the show alone, not really knowing that much about his work at that point. I was probably 21 or 22 at the oldest. Um, And in the middle of the show, I'm not sure if I've ever, ever told anyone this, in the middle of the show, there's this photograph of all of these men and they're like, they're just kind of like... Draped on each other like they're they're like leaning their heads on each other's shoulders and they just completely fill this frame and it was printed really large and it's a Tillman show so there's just and I'm standing there looking at the picture and this is years before I would even come out and I started crying Mm. and I think that's maybe the only time I've cried in a museum you know Mm. and I think that show actually made a really big impact on me in ways that I don't I don't even think we're conscious until maybe more Hmm. Years later,
0: it's amazing when those things kind of when those things happen. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's, I don't think it's so I, visceral, like uh, yeah.
1: And I don't even think I could identify why I was. Cry- I think I was just so overwhelmed. Now it's so easy to see why I was overwhelmed, mm-hmm. you know, and like why that was so beautiful. Mm-hmm.
0: How do you? Um, are the people you photograph? Who are the people that you photograph?
1: Boyfriend, close friends people that were comfortable in front of the camera and fit the sort of like archetype I'm frequently looking for, which is bodies that are not dissimilar from mine, Mm -hmm. I think. And in that way, I think the pictures are like these proxies and I'm concerned. This is going to sound so narcissistic. It's, but it's like the type of body I'm attracted to frequently, but also these bodies resemble my own Mm -hmm. when that happens. And it's someone that's comfortable kind of like, being photographed, especially if they're willing to like be photographed in the nude. Um, yeah, that's, I guess what I'm looking for, but yeah, mostly friends.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, the act of it is a pretty intimate one.
1: It's, there's a lot of yeah. trust involved in that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've never taken my clothes off for, <laughs> for those people who have thought this before, the pictures are never of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah if anyone out there is listening it's not me um (laughs) but sometimes when i'm printing in the dark room a stranger will be like is that you and i'm like no it's not me but i love that there's a there's that confusion because that is sort of the point
0: Mm. thanks so much for having me here i mean it's been a really uh great pleasure talking
1: thank you thanks for having me
0: that was my conversation with mark mcknight that we recorded in la this episode was produced by me, Jordan Weitzman, and was edited by Crystal Duhaime. Music on this episode by Adam Feingold. To find out more about the show, visit us at magichourpodcast.org and follow us on Instagram at magichourpodcast. Thanks for tuning in and see you next time. Planning for your next trip?